2: It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the negative you fire insurgency. Me up, man. In their you lives. fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. Have you ever thought for one second, just one teeny little tiny little second, as we get up here, we don these, you know, our headsets. We put on our kit. We get these microphones. Have you ever just thought for one single second why we're here?
0: Oh well, the first one is I can't believe that we get to come back. That they keep listening to us, right? It's great, <laughs> and then we get to do this for a living. Oh, dude, amazing!
2: It, it, it it's ridiculous that there are people out there by by the hundreds of
1: thousands millions right wizard who the hell are these people who? i'm uh, talking to you listening right now who? <laughs> who? <Yeah. laughs> that's a great question who
0: the hell are you no, no my, the, my favorite is when people come because now i hear it more and more like hey i like the podcast and you know I, I listen all the time mine is oh you're the one <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> i love you man thanks for letting me do this
2: yeah right <laughs> Dude, it's because of them. Absolutely. It's because of all of you. And if, listen, we are so, first off, welcome to the Team Never Quit podcast, right? I'm your host, David Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit Himself, Marcus Luttrell, and the wizard. How do you do like a fire? Because he's back there like holding fire in his hand.
0: Pay no attention to the man behind the yeah.
2: curtain.
0: <laughs> <laughs> And that is, that's what he says, right? <laughs> totally. Pay <laughs> totally, right? no
2: attention <laughs> yeah. to the man behind the curtain, right? That's who the wizard is. Listen, we are so incredibly blessed and honored that you keep coming back because it's all of you that listen to our show, that are out there talking about it, that are spreading the message that we're trying to uh, get across to people, that there is a place you can go. There is a show. There is some content available through the Google, that you can find that will make an impact in your life, that will give you the kit, the, the, the technical, the, the emotional, the physical know-how in order to fight that negative insurgency in life so you can jump into combat day in and day out with the right information to help you endeavor to persevere.
0: Well, we've been fortunate enough to do this now for a little while, and the guests that we have on, as exceptional as they are, at the end of every one of them, what you find out is they all had to start just like everybody else. Right. A hard times come in just like everybody else. And each individual person, it's funny how when we start to break it down, it's exactly the same how they crawled back
2: out, except for the one part that's unique to them. Right. You know what I'm talking about? And that's what makes it so awesome. Right. That's what makes it so awesome, is that we believe, the three of us and all the rest of us at Team Never Quit, we believe that everyone has a never quit story. Everybody has it in them. Everybody's born with it. It's a part of God's blessing. It's a part of God's grace. We all possess the traits, the qualities, the things that you need to never quit. Some of us just need to know that we have it, and that's why we do this show, if you want to know more about us and why we're doing it, go visit the website at tnqpodcast.com. Follow us on social media. We're all there. But more importantly, what I think is becoming the most substantial component, wizard, of, of, of what we're doing is the community that's being created. And those stories, they're, they're accumulating there, aren't
1: they? Yeah, there's quite a there's quite a buildup of of I mean, and these are top qu- just like Marcus was saying a second ago. How there's a lot of commonality in each one of our guests. I mean, at the fo- at the the root fundamentals of what's being said, a lot of the same stuff over and over again. And what's really cool is, and it's also the topic of the show. You don't have to be famous or well known. It's just part of everyone's never quit story. And today we're going to show some of that. Right?
2: That's that's the beauty of this we we for the second time in the history of the tq podcast we are bringing on a listener write-in story right they she first wrote this sucker in and man we read it last year and it was powerful well today again we We are bringing this person on. We're bringing Brogan on to tell her greatest never quit story. Because that's what we tell you we were going to do, man. It's cool to finish
0: that. Huh? It's cool to finish that. That circle is complete. Oh! When we we first started and came up with that idea, had her on it. You know, no matter how, full circle. Oh, it's epic. Starting something and finishing it. Well,
2: we, we did it with Katie Ulander. And then now doing it again with Brogan. And I think this one even resonates is going to resonate even more with our listeners because, you know, Katie, she was an Olympian, man. She had mm-hmm. she had really pushed herself her, her her levels to that next level. Brogan is a is a, is a person that is just living her life, man. And because of what she's facing her disease, man, she's real. It's raw. It's it's something that so many people in this world are living with that, that the, the unseen pain that, that is debilitating, that ignites this great challenge to never quit every single moment of every single day. So I just can't even wait to get her on. But before we do it, in, in, in honor of the, the substantial uh, uh, quest that we have that's out there, and if you're listening... If you're coming back for more, thank you for coming back. If this is your first time, what we want you to do, if you're so inspired, write in, share your greatest never quit story with us or the greatest never quit story you have with someone that you care about in your life, man. Write that story, submit it to it. If it's a great story, if it's something that touches us, and there's so many now you know, that we're going through them, but it takes us a little time. If it hits us in the in the heartstrings there, we will read your story at the end of one of our shows. If it's insane, if it really hits us, I mean, really hits us, man, in the gotchas, what will we do, Marcus? Coming on. They're coming on.
1: So, and what I think people need to realize, if they're not familiar out there, is there's a whole section on our website right now. We have we are Bam. banking all these stories that people are writing in. You can go on there, you can click, you can read, see their names, see a picture of these people, and really, whatever you're going through, I guarantee there's enough on there, there are enough stories on there right now that it is going to cover whatever topic for whatever you're dealing with at the moment.
2: Absolutely. What I think we do, before we get to bringing Brogan on, let's share one of these amazing stories. So. Why don't you go ahead and read the one you pulled out for us? Yeah, we've
1: got a couple of particularly exceptional stories that we're going to also read. So we have a Brogan, and we're going to read a couple, uh, a couple more here throughout the show. So This is from Anonymous. I'll try to make this short and somewhat sweet. If possible, I'd like to leave my name out of this, as I really want it to be a story about everyone who has struggled in life and has it worse than me. I'm truly blessed, but I want others to experience their blessings or maybe possibly being encouraged by my story. I was born to a mother who may or may not have used drugs during pregnancy. The doctors were quite sure that I would not survive after being born, as they saw many complications. I was club-footed. That's where the shin bones of both feet are curved in a J-like shape, where the bottoms of the feet are turned upside down. My intestines were all out of my stomach. The doctors had to put them back inside. They realized that I had paralysis in my face and many other complications. The doctors were quite sure I was blind, mute, and deaf. Basically, they planned for the worst. After being in the hospital for many months, I was released with the, with the doctor's surprise that I'd survived at all, but positive that I would never walk or talk. Wow. I was still being force-fed as I couldn't eat on my own. I'll skip some of the other complications for the sake of time, although I wasn't supposed to walk ever. I started to learn to walk when I was four years old, though. I had and continued to have many operations on my feet and many other types of surgeries. I was being taught sign language at the age of of three and was enrolled in a school for the deaf. I started to walk better, and I literally remember the day I thought to myself, refused to go to a school that was different than my other normal siblings, in quotes. I made myself start to try to learn to talk. By the time I was in preschool, I was still using sign language and talking very little, but I refused to go to a special school. You have to understand, my dad was a former professional rodeo athlete. My brother was a state champion track star, and I had an unusual basis for comparing for normal. I had a few more foot surgeries in elementary and continued speech therapy. I remember in fifth grade, I decided to stop going to speech therapy as I was sick of being pulled out of class for more special treatment. Not saying that I was, that, that was smart, but that was just my mindset. I also decided I wanted to play football, and I, re- I refused to be a special case where they let me, in quotations again, Stand on the sidelines as a charity case. Although I love those stories, I just didn't want to be part of that story. I worked hard and I ended up starting several games throughout high school as linebacker and halfback. I was five foot four, 130 pounds, but I just loved to hit people and I hit hard. <laughs> awesome. Did I mention the doctors said I wouldn't walk at all? I had multiple noticeable disabil- disabilities by looking at me. I have paralysis in my face. I have, in my opinion, a slight speech impediment and a few others that I'd rather skip over. Keep in mind, I've only talked about this a handful of times, as I feel like I want to earn people's respect by being myself, not by sympathy. This is only recently that I have realized how my purpose on earth should not be kept a secret. My parents treated me normal, and the only times when I didn't feel normal were when people pointed it out, which was most every day. I get used to people looking and staring. It used to bother me worse, but then I realized most people were just curious about what happened and they were looking at me from a compassionate point of view. I know there are so many people with bigger struggles than me. I just tell myself God made me this way and he made it and he did it for a reason and that's good enough for me. Trust me, I wasn't, it wasn't always Mr. Rogers' neighborhood in my head. I've mostly been happy on the outside, but there have been many internal struggles in the past, probably because I didn't want to let no- anyone know I was struggling. Alcohol snuck in and was helping me cope and before I knew it, it was almost too late. I was, by most definitions, an alcoholic, and very few knew about it. The day I asked my wife to marry me, God hit me over the head, and by his grace, I have been sober for the past seven years. Wow. I knew I wouldn't be the husband or person he made me if I couldn't control my drinking. Fast forward, and I'm now 32 years old. Throughout this journey, I was a starter in several varsity football games, rode bucking horses in college and other rodeos, won a reserve national title in a rodeo, graduated with a master's degree in counseling psychology. And I'm a licensed therapist. I've been a director of counseling at a college and now an assistant director at a university. Not to mention, I married the, I married the girl that I had a crush on since high school. Trust me, she's hot. <laughs> Pursuing a ministry <laughs> license, I'm pretty much loving every day of my life and seeking God's plan. These are just a few of the highlights of what God has allowed me to do. Not a day goes by that I do not get re- reminded of my struggles, either through how I talk or through my not-so-subtle stare but I smile and know that God is using me in such a great way and have apparently have encouraged other, a few other people along the way. I think my TNQ moments are when the doctors said, this is how it will be, and I said, no, thank you. Specialists who said, who said go to this special school, and I thought, nah, I'll go where, where my brothers and sisters go. Doctors who said, you can't walk, and I said, wait until I'm laying those dudes out on the football field. People made fun of me and I ignored it and let it make me stronger. People blamed my mom for my struggles and I forgave her because God is using her actions for good. And essentially every day is a never quit choice, which we all have. I'm no pushover and God made me tough as heck, but I have a heart that God has used to help people. It never fails to sting a little when I'm, when I'm reminded that I'm different, but it's followed by a reassurance that I'm just who I'm supposed to be. The difference is that I never quit. I could have been exactly the guy that the doctors, teachers, specialists, other people said I would be, but I refused to be what those other people said that I was. Now I run everywhere, work out daily. I talk for a living. Not only am I a therapist, but I have taught several college classes and have been a youth minister. I'm not at all trying to put myself above anyone else with a disability or saying I'm tougher than anyone else in a certain type of struggle. I just can't stress enough how blessed I am I don't feel sorry for myself, and I don't ever want pity. In fact, the reason I don't talk about any of my obstacles or accomplishments is because I don't want other people to look at me differently, which is ironic, or do I want people to feel sorry for me? I've been blessed to be able to help so many people with PTSD, addiction, suicidal desires, depression, etc., and I feel like people look at me and see God's love in my heart and through my eyes, and I feel that my lifetime journey allows me to connect with just about anyone. Many people have more struggles than I do, but I just want to share a small part of my TNQ story to maybe help someone who can relate. My request is that people try to be the best, hardworking, resilient, loving version of who God made them to be, not the version that some people might have said that you will or should be. I say pick your biggest insecurity or weakness and pursue something that will make you vulnerable Just, just to attack it when it comes at you head on. I'm insecure every day about how I look and talk, and I'm just crazy enough to talk to people for a living and do public speaking almost daily. Thanks, TNQ. Y'all are the real heroes. I'm just someone who is inspired by you, and maybe I can inspire just one other person out there who needs it. Sorry, this is not that short after all. Ignore my grammar. I'm on my iPhone.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Amen. God bless. Amen to that cat, man. That that right there is what I'm talking about, Marcus. When somebody get so inspired to share the magnitude of that struggle for their life with us in our community man that's what this show is all about
0: yeah i mean look at what he's kind of turned into ugly Duckley syndrome right right it's kind of man it's tough being a kid when you're growing up and you're young you think you're everything in that world is all that exists kind of is really i grew up funky looking too man it's tough Uh, and uh but the thing about it was is (laughs) my dad was good at this and the women in our family too you know i I can laugh at myself better than anybody and then once you realize yeah you're born with it for just you can't look at it as a disability you got to look at it for it's a reason
2: yeah that's what he's saying
0: yeah and that's the same thing i did too i mean my eyes because my eyes are so messed up i couldn't see anything i focused on them the hardest now it's my most lethal weapon right and um Boils down to my grandmother's saying she's never never let anybody's perception of you become your reality. You know, Mother and Allah. it's like you know, you, somebody comes up and calls you ugly. You're like, obviously. I know that. It's on the outside. Is that all you got? I've heard that one before. You know, you know, just, <laughs> right? I can't do anything about the way I look, but your breath is about to tear my face off, man. You can definitely do something about that. <laughs> you know, love you, it. If someone's willing to come up and hit you with a verbal assault, just, if you don't want to hit it back, but don't ever suffer for a word thrown at you. Oh, man. Bitter irony in art, whether whoever made it, whether God created it or man created it. I mean, people pay millions of dollars for Picasso. Exactly.
3: You know, it's abstract. You, right?
0: you're different for a reason obviously you know what it is now all those little problems you thought you had cultivated into what you are and uh you know the first 40 years of your life and that's just like morgan and i live Man, it's that you're in that shell you're creating yourself and uh when you man when we hit 40 is when you come out right you every day that you grow you grow stronger because there is a baseline that you hit i think coming up when you when the reality sets in all that stupid stuff goes away probably a little bit after high school when you know that people are just saying something because they're upset about something about themselves. Right. And parents tell their kids Insecurity. that all the time. Yeah, you know, parents tell you that, mm-hmm. but you don't care. You know, it still means something. It still hurts for a reason. And just, just think about it, though, like that. Most people, especially these kids nowadays on social media, you can get attacked from around the world, man. And, and if Anonymous somebody's thing. not willing to say it in front of your face, they don't... It doesn't even matter, and if they're not even in the same kind of job description as you or life description as you, and they're making comments, they have no idea. They don't even know what they don't know, right? So, <laughs> mm. I get a pretty big laugh out of people talking smack like that nowadays because it's like, man,
2: it is what it is.
0: You, you just don't even know what you don't know.
2: Exactly. So I mean,
0: good on you, brother, for staying the course and knowing what's inside. I mean, that's the deal. You're creating your own reality, and you're 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 pushing yourself in a certain direction, and people see that. I mean one person especially kids you know they i'm only maybe i'm only i'm ugly is that what you said yeah i'm ugly to you because i know this guy over here and loves me and he doesn't really care about that because it's not about that really at all man That's ever what makes you unique if everybody was perfect and exactly the same and, and looked exactly the same and act the same life would be boring as hell you know the best part about growing up and having the uh cognitive function that we have as human beings is to recognize the uh, the individuality in a person right amen and their ability to assimilate in a group and do something great and that's kind of what we do in the teams we're the most ragtag bunch of hoodlums you'd ever put together but look what we can do
2: and that's what we're doing here too man and that's what this whole show what do you is call about? This
1: enterprise right
2: that's exactly what we're doing here well thank you anonymous for writing in What do you say, gents? Let's jump to Brogan. Absolutely. Let's get her on, and let's see the beauty of her uniqueness and what God's plan is for her. Do it. Let's do it. Marcus, it has finally happened, brother. I told you it would. We've talked about it.
0: Do so we have the start date to right now?
2: Well, we we yeah, June Should've. 3rd to right now. Uh. <laughs> now, oh, well, that's not quite fair because we did bring Katie on, and she was right in, listener, before. But because she was an Olympic athlete, because of all that, I think that got lost in the shuffle a little bit. But this one... But this incredible woman, man, this person started with a writing. We read it. The wizard gave us that one. We read it. And, man, that tore me up, man. Face getting stung like a thousand bees, man. And it got further and further Mm -hmm. and further. And now we're at the point where she's staring at us right now, brother. How good does that feel?
0: I know. It was. uh, I remember, too, the story. I remember when we came in, the wizard started rehashing it. Uh, suicide disease right oh Uh, that's hardcore man so it's it's gonna be an honor to get a face-to-face with her
2: well let's do it let's bring her on ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages it would be a distinct honor for us to bring on our listener write-in story brogan wall brogan thank you for coming on with us
3: thank you very much again it's an honor to be here awesome you guys
2: well we appreciate it more than you can know we know it's early there eight in the morning it's a little bit uh for us i think 10 o'clock is kind of early nowadays back in the day it wasn't so early all right (laughs) but now that we're podcasters that's a real thing (laughs)
0: <laughs> Still waiting for that to sound cool. I gotta see, tell will, you, to you wizard, it go, will
2: never sound cool. Now that cool. I can
0: see you, I remember uh, Rut when he he had the inflectionness in his voice and the way he reads the stories is is pretty impactful. Now that we get to hear your voice and put it to these words, it's it, it, you know it's kind of now it's even
2: it makes it heavy, right? It's pretty makes heavy, it right? Super heavy. But before we get too heavy, before we we get into the the whole meat and potatoes right here, you know what's got to happen, don't you, Brogan? You know yes. we got to get warmed up, don't you? Oh yeah. All right. So you know what's coming next? The mad minute. All right. Now listen. This is the funnest part of the show. We love doing this more than anything. Heck, we had Lance Armstrong on just a little bit ago, and his his answers were hilarious, man. And we had Bernie Carrick on. We've had some of the funniest ones we've ever had of the people you just don't expect. Because you know what? Quite frankly, people don't think about these questions that much. And that's why we ask them. All right, so
1: because <laughs> they're important, because
2: they're super important, yeah, they're important in our day-to-day lives yeah. that we know these this information. So Brogan, are you ready for the Mad Minute?
3: I right, uh,
2: All right, here we go.
0: Marcus Fireway. All right, give me your high school mascot.
3: Okay, so I went to three different high schools. So we were the San Clemente Tritons and Dana Hills yes. uh, Dolphins. And then we were uh, Capstrano Cougars.
2: Wow. The
3: tried uh, the Dolphin, way down, uh, and the Cougars.
0: Huh? That's all the way down the coast, right? It is. <laughs> all right, yes. wizard, fire away.
3: All
1: right, let's see. If you could choose to raise one person from the dead, bring them back from the past to walk in the modern world, who would it be and why?
3: One person from the dead, bring them back. Gosh. Like somebody fun or like...
0: The Jesus, the Jesus. That's who He's I already coming
2: back. back so he's
3: <laughs> already back. I mean, like he raised from the dead. You know. I mean, so wouldn't Jesus technically be already alive?
2: I like the way your brain thinks. That right. was right. that's that's right. that's that's like, awesome. Like, uh,
0: All right, we, we know he's coming back, so we skip him.
3: Well, <laughs> I, I'd, with, uh...
2: I'd bring John Candy or, or Jim Belushi back. Huh.
3: <laughs> I, I can't even. I'm just gonna go with Einstein. You know, I mean, the things that he did. Just, nice. you know, the the potential that he has to uh, create. Uh- and-
2: especially if he had that new ca- that 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 circular thing over in europe where they're smashing atoms into each other what's oh, that glider, thing? Uh, the uh, colander or col- whatever it is man if he had that technology thing, today oh bro he'd be coming up with all kinds of emc squared times that too is, yeah. oh yeah what he, what
3: he would have to build off of today would just be amazing
2: ah good answer by the way mm-hmm. all right here you go are you ready what's your power animal
3: My power animal. Oh wow! Gosh, you guys are giving me hard ones. I like I've listened, and so I've like I have all these prepared. Like, okay, this is (laughs) now just like power animal.
2: Mine's the eagle.
3: Oh! Oh! Marcus, what's yours?
0: Uh, I'm a T Rex.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But they have short arms. What's that? They're like. Wouldn't it be? I mean, gone, he, just, he doesn't
0: fear anything. He, once you hit him, he's coming after you. You knock him down and get back up. He doesn't stop till it's over or he's dead. That's pretty. I was cool. so weak and little growing up, I had to have something rage inside of me that hard. It's the first thing I come up with. I like the T Rex
2: wizard. Yeah. What's yours?
1: Uh, an owl tiger.
2: What the hell is an owl
1: tiger? Is that like a liger? Is your imagination
2: an owl tiger? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. All right, Brogan, what's your power right. animal?
3: I'm going to just go with a panther.
2: Ooh, I like panther. Cool. Big Got those panther.
3: out here. Like, <laughs> you know, not really good endurance, but just quick power. So, the
2: black panther or just a regular panther?
3: Just a regular panther.
2: We,
0: have the, we have the panthers out here, both of them. Oh, black yeah. And then, yeah, they're, they're something. They're awesome. Some All right, go. Fire. All right, what's your favorite superhero? Uh,
3: You know... It's gotta be Captain America because I'm basically a married to Captain America.
0: Woo! Like, That's the way him, it works. Hey, Tell him we said what's up.
3: <laughs> he is just when we so when we first got married, we'd work on an, an ambulance together, and he would not drive over the speed limit, even if we're going, you know, code, code for, three. <laughs> code three. It just would be like you know we don't need to endanger the population or the public. Because if we get there three seconds faster, it's not going to make a difference, you know? And I'm the diff- I'm the opposite, because I'd be like, hell yeah, we're um, going faster. But, you know, he just is. <laughs>
0: all right. I, I, I wrote in the box, too. In the, and I'm with you on this one. The whole reason we go through all the training and get all the special licenses is so we can drive really fast for those three seconds. No one else exactly. is allowed
2: to. <laughs> uh, totally. Right. I mean, I,
0: you get a chance to break in the
2: law. Have you ever seen though, like an ambulance rack from somebody who doesn't know? Of course drive? I have, but I'm just saying. Oh, the medical supplies are already there. Oh, dude, there's there's a guy that I went through training with. Yeah, his name's McBurnett, and now he's this wonderful photographer. You can follow him on Instagram. It's McTeam something, and he has these beautiful photos. But he was in the back of an ambulance. They just pick a guy up. They were going through uh, Brooklyn, you know, where the, the, the train goes overhead. Mm. And they made a turn and swiped one of those posts, flipped the thing. Well, inside, the dude was on a colostomy bag, right? So oh, his colostomy bag opens up. That's probably over. the worst story <laughs> you hold on, ever heard. Hold on. Mick B bounces up into the th- into the thing, catches the front of his head on a IV hook. Lays his head open like a pizza (laughs) slice right now his blood brain blood is flying all over mixed with the colostomy bag the things on the side right he opens the back hatch like other ambulances show up they're like he's covered in feces and blood the other Ambu drivers and Paramex show up. The firefighters show up. They all throwing up. They go in. The dude inside is just dripping with it. And McBee starts cracking jokes about it, dude. So there's something to be said for driving the speed limit,
0: dude. I I can't believe that story. The colostomy bag. That's horrible, right? You that's throw a that. Great in, story. And the, the car it? flip and everything ripping your head that's open. A great that's a Normal for us. <laughs>
2: I love. All right, wizard, hit her up.
1: All right, I know you prepared for the mad minute. What question were you hoping to get, and what's your answer?
2: (laughs) Why you got to be so technically (laughs) proficient, dude?
3: All right, so I was going to go with the Best Western. Oh, I had that written down right here. I know Marcus would go Lonesome Dove, which is fabulous, and I love it. But mine's got to be Shane.
2: Oh, Oh, Shane's good, man. So good, Uh, mm -hmm. so good. Why Shane though? Tell us why. There's some specific.
3: I don't know. It just I think I just grew up on it and I just loved it, you know? That just, is. Like at the end when he's just like Shane, come back, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: I love it. All right. Give us one thing that's on your bucket list.
3: Um, skydiving. Nice. Uh, well, you can take it off
0: of there. Really, it's not that big of a deal. Look, my hand just started sweating right now. <laughs> when I'm talking about? It. <laughs> like my, my body naturally no. Yeah,
3: I, I can't though because the wind hits my face and I can't skydive. And I know. Oh. So, uh, my my little brother sure. actually is do skydives all the time. And so when you do tandem, you can't wear helmets
0: because
3: uh, you're gonna you there's the potential of oh, bashing face-back. the guy behind you. So I and I can't get my heart rate up. So can't be on
0: there. Well, it's maybe. Somebody, if you, it's a, get in a high-performance vehicle on a track with a sunroof. <laughs> stick your head out when you're going over 120 miles an hour. That's what it feels like. Then just, you know, pop just in. step out and roll on the what? ground. When they that's stop, crazy, yeah, Tav.
2: <laughs> that's, that's, that's how you, exactly
1: that's only how you yeah, land, though. That, that,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's how, how, how you land,
1: land. <laughs> I do land like that. <laughs> that replicates your landing. Yeah, I've never stuck oh. one, ever. Oh, <laughs>
2: Awesome.
3: All right, I did Well, stay in, in the ERs, and they did take care of a girl that she had she had landed. She was doing tandem. Actually, ironically, it was the year they were doing a memorial jump. A year, late, a year previous, her brother had died skydiving. But she landed with both feet, snapped both ankles, and came in as a patient. But she didn't want her jeans to be cut. They were her favorite jeans. Mm. And so we tried to get them off. And they were angulated so bad that I couldn't get her out of the jeans um, without giving her enough more. Because I keep saying that every time you say you land wrong on your feet.
0: What was, what? would she say? Obviously, she told you that her brother had passed doing it the same thing. And then she's in there with a what bilateral hip-fib fractures, yeah. maybe a femur
3: said don't tell my mom or she'll kill me if she knows i was doing this today
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't tell my mom don't worry we
0: won't <laughs> we won't now no. oh, yeah, i remember cool. when the, when they pulled, when they finally got me off the mountain and we were coming back they uh, i had those underarmored uh, trike shorts on yeah that was the only thing that's really kind of made it and he cut those things she uh, the flight medic in the in the doc cut them right off of me and when i, I I kind of had a hold of him like that. I was like, man, I sure wish you wouldn't have cut my pants. <laughs> that
2: was the coolest thing I could say after all that. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, that's the mad 10 minutes, Brogan. Thank you so much. Those We really appreciate it. That's always my favorite part of the show. But as you and I both know, the reason why our listeners keep coming back for more is, is for the incredible – unbelievable stories that we're able to share with the millions of people that are paying attention to this this show. And all of you, thank you so much. So if you could, Brogan, without further ado, would you please share your greatest Never Quit story or stories with our listeners?
3: Sure. Um, my greatest Never Quit story is my day-to-day life. So I live with every day... Um, a, a disease called trigeminal neuralgia, and it has been nicknamed in medical literature the suicide disease. And it is um, it's a disorder of the fifth cranial nerve, and it's in the face, and it comes out kind of basically through, uh, through about the ear, into the eye, into the nose, into the mouth. And there's three branches to it. And it basically feels like there's lightning stabbing, searing raw pain that uh, goes in like as if you have a raw exposed nerve and someone is just stabbing into it and just digging into it. And it just hits you, Mm. just smacks you down like the hand of God. And it's just out of nowhere. Just you'll be going on with your day and it'll just come and smack you and it'll be five, 10, 20 times a day. I mean, to the point where it's like, you're getting cattle prodded in your face and, wow. and I'll just, so, wh- wh-
0: worst of, environment imaginable. That's right. Oh, yeah. Worst environment that's imaginable. So, that's so you had just like,
3: <laughs> I just, it's, it's like, I just I scream died. out of nowhere and my family is aware of it. So they're just like, oh, okay, we just kind of, you know, move on after I scream and people who don't know, think I'm insane. And, um, you know, but you just, you just have to live with it. And I've had two brain surgeries for it, one on each side. And, and then I've had four other surgeries where they did a glycerol rhizotomy, which is an in, ge- injection uh, to deaden the nerve into the face. It, the injection goes up in the cheek into well, the trigeminal. That,
0: I'm sorry to interrupt, but when they hit you with that in the trigeminal, they're trying to deaden it, but does it do anything like a stroke?
3: did not
0: it Uh-oh. didn't. All right,
3: good. Um, and and that's one of the things they can do is actually just cut the trigeminal nerve, which will make you look like it was stroke. But then there's a the potential of actually mm. still having the pain.
0: Pain, right? Because yeah, the nerve will mm. jump over and find it, or you could have phantom pains. A lot exactly. of the guys when they, when, they, when you're messing with those bundles, especially up in the cranial. Good lord.
3: Oh yeah, and so mm. so I got on top of this horrible suicide disease, I got the rarest, most possible, horrible side effect that there could be, um, which is anesthesia dolorosa, which is numbness and pain. And so that's the one where I, it feels like I have acid burning on my face with a blowtorch on it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that, that intensity comes and goes. So, like, right now, it's tolerable, but it's still there. still feels like... Um, it's, it goes in between the acid burning and then, like, you're just laying on a, a piece of ice. So you're just frozen. And then any wind or anything just feels like you're being pelted by uh, frozen rain or hail. And, and, that, and then the, the eye, this, when, I, when I describe it, it's just so overwhelming to describe it. It feels like I'm just making this up. But the eye feels like I've got just habanero sauce in it with sand in, in oh. my eye and because oh. the nerves are the nerves that that receive pain that would normally would tell you like ouch withdraw are just um screwed up and so they're continually receiving painful stimuli and yeah, uh,
0: it it's not there right so instead you're not yeah. actually touching it, it's just your face letting you know what it would be like if you did this did happen to you all the time exactly
3: oh. exactly so it oh. just it's, it, it gets to the point where, you know, when it really flares up, when it really kicks up, there's just nothing I can do. Just take medication, oh, it- oh, curl it all in. No, it, no, go ahead.
0: When you sleep, obviously, uh, when you go into that dormant phase into the rim, when you get up eight in the morning and we're talking, does it activate more as the day progresses? Yeah. Oh yeah so, I mean when you once you start activating all your other nerve sensors and fibers and everything get up and walking around chewing food. I mean, how, what about your 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 salivary glands? I mean, I, I would imagine with when it coming around your face like that, it activates into your nose, into your mouth, into your throat. God dang. <laughs>
3: yes, all of those things are yeah and and you know we we've just gone been through this such a long process. My husband, you know, at the initial disease, tried to keep a log of okay, what are the triggers? I mean, because you know, God bless my eyes, he he wanted to know exactly what's what caused it, and would write, okay, carrots, yes or no, you know, it just, and then he'd he'd keep the barometric pressure, and he'd keep, you know, what we ate that day, what was the weather, what was, and and there's no rhyme or reason to it. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll eat old carrots, four out of ten will set it off, and you know. I've learned not to mess with it. It it doesn't it doesn't like to be played with.
2: <laughs> wow. I, I like the way you say it doesn't okay. like and you, it's actually got part its, yeah. Own, its own. Yeah,
0: yeah that's why
1: I look at all my problems too. That's it's part of the package. Yeah. Rogan, how where where did this start? How long have you been dealing with this?
3: So it started when I was about twenty five actually, and um, I was pregnant with my first daughter. It was the first flare up. And it was for about a week, and it was just absolutely bizarre. And I had pain in my face, and um, went in to the doc- to the dentist, because it was the pain was right above, uh, like where my canines would be, uh, underneath my nose. And dentist said, you know, your teeth look fine, nothing's going on there. Um, and then so I went, just went to a whole bunch of different doctors. And so they couldn't do really any of the testing because they couldn't do it CT. They didn't want to mess with the baby. But eventually I was at work. I'm an ER nurse. And uh, one of the doctors I was working with just was kind of watching me all day long. And he diagnosed it. And um, and then it, then it went away. And it went away for like three years. And I never had it again. And I was wow. like, oh, that was maybe a fluke. It was when I was pregnant. Maybe some hormones or something. And... Um, and then it was gone. And then it happened again, and, and they diagnosed it as trigeminal neuralgia at the time. But then, since it went away, we just kind of what were we like, doing
0: when it happened again?
3: Um, just living. I mean, there wasn't anything that set it off. Um, and but the pain came back, and just at that time, then it was the more shocking, stabbing pain. More, more trigeminal, typical trigeminal pain. And one of the things that's, pop, that's hard with this disease is it doesn't always present the same. So it would, and the, the pain for quite a few years would do that, where it, the, it would present itself for about six weeks. I would go on medication, be anti-seizure meds, most likely Tegretol, and, um, and I would quit work, come home, do a little, you know, the meds make you just kind of like a zombie. It's like mm-hmm. walking through mud, trying to think, and um, and then go back to work, live my life, have fun, go back to skiing, go back to doing you know triathlons, doing all that stuff, and then yeah, let's
2: let's let's pivot real quick. Let, w- could you paint a picture of what your life was like before this? Because I, I, we, we you know you you said and when we read your story before. You, you had an incredibly active life. Your family's f- professional athletes. Describe what your life looked like before. Before.
3: So, um, so growing up, um, I was my, so my parents, my dad um, was, see how I describe this. Um, in Southern California, my family are part of the Fever Brothers baseball. Um, in Southern California, it's, kind of, uh, they're well-known. Uh, my dad, his brother, and his other brother, all three of them played professional ball, baseball. And so my dad's brother uh, is Jim LeFever, who played for the Dodgers and won the... Oh yeah. Uh, won, yeah. It was Rookie of the Year, won um, the World Series with the Dodgers, and then ended up uh, managed the Mariners and the Cubs. Wow. And so for our family, most families grow up you know, they're supposed to be doctors and lawyers. In our family, we we grew up to be athletes. You know, that that was our, our standard. And um, and so we were raised as athletes. And it was pretty intense, you know. And, in fact, I remember my dad always saying, he's like, this is a first generation of the fevers that the men weren't professional athletes. And so it was, we had, you know, like, Growing up, we had chores and such, but every night we had to run, we had to do our plyometrics, we had to do whatever, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we had to do like the running with the parachutes, we had to do running with the rubber bands, and um, in fact, okay, this is kind of crazy, but when I was in like, I think it was fifth grade, so this is pretty typical of my family, but uh, so I was playing soccer at school, and went shin to shin with this other kid and hit, my, ne- my leg was just bruised and I was like, call my dad. And I'm like, dad, I broke my leg. He's like, you're fine. Go home on the bus. You're all good. So that night, came home. Legs all bruised. Swollen. So I got out of running for that night. Blacker. The next day, stayed home from <laughs> school. But uh-huh. I know. So I, I had to do my in the next day, which was like a mile and a half or two. I forgot. I was like 10. So then the next day I had, I played tennis and so I had, I had my tournament. So I played my morning match, second match. Then I was like, my leg was like swollen and purple. I'm like, that's it. So I sit down on the mat, on the court. I was like, dad, my leg is swollen. I mean, my leg is broken. So he's like, fine, take you to the hospital. So we go to the hospital. Doctor's like, your leg's broken. Put the cast on it. So then, so we go home and he's like, yep. Rogan found a way to get out of working out. <laughs> and That's to awesome. The day he points out that it was a hairline fracture. wasn't a real break, just a hairline fracture. Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love it.
3: So, oh, I'll yeah. it
0: up. It was that bad. It was only a hairline. <laughs> that was like my and dad.
3: That was, was kind of like, you know, just how I was raised. And so, yeah, it was, you know, I mean, it was, that was, Kind of the standard and and so growing up it was just working out and being an athlete and um you know and then what, after good
2: what what made you want to get into the healthcare system what how did that happen and become you know become a, a nurse and in particular an er nurse
3: it was always a passion of mine i just loved it it was just one of those things that i always wanted to do and um you know i uh I met my husband. He was stationed at Camp Pendleton. He was a corpsman with the Marines. And so, you know, we moved up to Whidbey. And, um, and that brought us up to Seattle. And uh, it just it worked out great. And, you know, they had a volunteer fire department up here. And I did my firefighter training. So we did volunteer firefighting together. And we did high-angle rescue and swift water rescue. And it was just, that was our thing. And we just loved it. And we had, you know, our time. And so, and that just kind of, everything evolved from there and so we we planned our life together. So, you know, he always said, you know, when I was with the Marines, I spent enough time with the guys. Now I want to spend time with my wife. And um, you know, so we all of our time off we went skiing, we you know, would drop the girls off at school, go ski for the day, come back. I mean that was that was our time. And so um you know we would go to medical conferences together. And we would always laugh that that was, that was our date, you know, it was like, we're going away for the weekend (laughs) after the medical conference, but you know, this is our date for the weekend. And, uh, and so, yeah, so ER nursing was just, it was just part of it. You know, he was, it was part of our thing. And so and that was the hardest part is when neuralgia came into play, I lost being an ER nurse. And then I also lost, um, that physical side of it. So with trigeminal neuralgia, I can't be outside. I can't be in the element, Um, and so I really went through an identity crisis. I really lost who I was. I had to find out who I was outside of all of that because I couldn't be that you know loving, caring wife that you know just he and I went out and played together. He he lost his wife, you know, because that was for him. That's he always wanted a wife that was. It was going to go outside and play with him, you know, and his, his wife couldn't do that anymore, and and uh, I oh well,
0: hold on now. There's there's a difference between not being able to do it and not wanting to do it. All right, you're he's still you're still the wife. He wants trust me. He wouldn't <laughs> be there if it wasn't that way.
3: Oh, I know that. I know that. Hmm.
1: So
2: as you you you've painted an incredible picture for everybody in terms of your background, your upbringing, the intensity, the 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 focused sense of freedom that you were able to live through by controlling your life right the control of becoming an athlete the control of becoming uh, a, an ER nurse having that sense of control and guiding your life in a particular direction at what point in the evolution of this in your disease did you hit that space mentally, psychologically, where you came to realize I no longer have control? Uh, and what did it feel like?
3: it felt like it felt like shit it felt awful it was it was a very very dark place it was uh, I, I'd say probably a year, two years where. I mean, there was a lot of crying. There was a lot of, you know, not getting up. It was just, I was at, it was, I was at the mercy of, of pain. And, um, there was, it was just, there was a lot of guilt. There was a lot of, you know, I mean, I, I,
2: guilt to Explain the guilt. Why, why guilt?
3: The, the guilt was that I, I, I wasn't strong enough. That was really the guilt. I was not strong enough to overcome this pain. It was like, what Mm. what is wrong with me that I can't be strong enough? Why can't what is you know, why can't I overcome this pain? Why can't I get up? Why can't I I be strong why can't I be strong enough? Is really that's it. Yeah. And am I am I over exaggerating the pain? Am I it just why can't I yeah. Just, just why can't I be strong enough? How
2: long did this dark space last?
3: I would say probably two years. And, and with it being, you know, the suicide disease, and, and there was, you know, which brought in some depression in there, it was just kind of this anchor that was just, that I just carried around. And I it was never suicidal, but it was kind of, it just, it was kind of something I just had in my back pocket that was more of a woe is me thing. Right. Of like, you know, yeah.
2: depression. Look at, mm-hmm.
3: look at what I have to deal with. This sucks. And, you know, and so to your next question, which I'm I'm assuming is what changed.
2: No, what not quite the- yet. Slow down. Slow down in this space cuz what 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 we're really a part of here is is the team mentality right i mean with our backgrounds where we come from marcus in his brilliant analogy that you know at, at his greatest strengths or weaknesses is where his 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 crew can cover down on his back on that that's the way we think how quickly in your shift into that hopelessness that that sense of despair did your team, did your husband, did your kids begin to cover down? And what types of things did they say to you? What was the stuff they used every day to keep you in the fight?
3: They were there. They just, they were there. You know, it was, my husband was amazing. Um, you know, it was just constant. I love you. The girls love you. We're, we're here for you. Um, you know, my parent, my mom. Bless her heart, though. She just, I gotta love her. But uh, it, she'd call me, How you doing? Still in pain. Well, gosh, we're, we've been praying for you. How come you're not better?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> One day, uh, man, those prayers will come true.
3: But I, I did. I had some great friends that, you know, would they would check up on me and just, just give me love, you know, and, and give me grace is really Amen. what it was. And so, yeah. And that was, and just, just to be there and just be supportive, you know, and that, and they, they were there, they were there through all of it. Just, just showering me with love and grace.
2: Awesome. Now, now tell us. <laughs> what was the moment where it was like you woke up your face is on fire you've got hot sauce in your eye and you looked at yourself and you said enough what ta- walk us through then when was it describe that for us
3: you know it you guys it was you guys it really was and oh um, wow. I don't know why I started listening to your podcast i I wish I could say who turned me on to you but it just listening to your podcast and what is just one day it hit me it was like when did checking out ever become an option it was like i'm not i'm not going to i'm not going to kill myself i have a husband that loves me i have girls that love i i'm a mother i have two teenage daughters I, they need me i i have to be there for them i need to guide them yeah i can't play tennis with them i can't do the things i wanted to but i i still Need to be there for them, and I. They. I still need to guide them and teach them. And it was just the actual thought of when did checking out ever become an option? Mm -hmm. Just that sentence, saying that sentence was was the moment that it switched. And love it. And that was it. And so, and the other thing is, you know, it was looking at the disease. In that, uh, and I'm going to use micro and macro. My husband hates that term.
2: We but, love it.
3: You know, looking at it from that macro perspective of just going, you know, I'm in my mid-30s. I'm going to be in pain for the rest of my life. How am I going to deal with it? But then taking it down and going, okay, I just i am going to deal with this day by day. The sun is going to come up tomorrow. I'm going to go through tomorrow. And then I'm going to go through the next day and the next day. And I just have to, you know, and I know that you guys have talked about, like, Marcus, I know this isn't going through buds, but, you know, make it to chow. Make it through, you know, just each giving myself little things that, okay, I'm going to make it through the next day. All right. One day down. All right. And then it was weeks. And, and for a while, I couldn't look at the big picture. And I so it was, you know, meal planning was so overwhelming for me. So then we got... You know, like Hello Chef or one of those plans right. where they planned out meals for us. And my fi- my 15-year-old daughter is like, I want to cook. Let me cook. You know? Awesome. So said, I'm going to cook three meals a day. I mean, sorry, three meals a week. And so she's learning how to cook. So she's having a great time with it. And so just taking things down and just bit by bit by bit, little piece by piece by piece. And that was just kind of that defining moment of, ah, okay, I can do this. I can, you know, and um, and so when I have those, you know, horrific attacks that are so painful, it's just, I curl up my ball, and then it just, I kind of have it in my head, you know, this too shall pass, and that's what I just kind of, that little mantra in my head, this too shall pass, and then, um, you know, get through those little, flare ups and then i have to deal with you know each day as it comes i uh,
2: you know I, I think it's it's such a relevant perspective for people that are in their never quit moment regardless if the never quit moment is always right but what i'm hearing in you is a more, it's a much deeper focused need and requirement to develop a relationship with pain and as everybody knows that listens to this show, or anybody knows who's been in pain, whether it's physical pain, mental pain, emotional, or spiritual pain in your life, everybody understands the mag it's the magnitude of it. It's, I believe it's the collective thing that unites the human condition across cultures, across genders, across whatever. Can you describe to our listeners? Your perception of pain, how you think about pain, how you manage pain, because that in, in an essence is one of the focal points of this never quit mindset I'm hearing for you is how you live and deal in the relationship you have with the pain in your life.
3: Pain for me is it's it's just it's always going to be there. It's not. I don't know how I deal with the relationship with it. It's, it's, I guess you could say, I mean, there is a way to look at it positive. I mean, looking for a silver lining in the pain in that the positive part about the pain is that, you know, when, when I did get the disease, um, you know, my husband and I decided that we were going to turn towards each other and it has brought awesome. our relationship stronger. Um, and for me, you know, it It has brought me, you know, my, my relationship with God, my faith Amen. stronger, definitely. Um, because, you know, when as going through this, I, I had to really just f- figure out who I am. It couldn't be the superficial thing of just, I am a nurse. I am an athlete. I am all of these things. And I had to figure out who I was as a person. And that was as, as a child of God. And I had to look at... Um, who I was, you know, without all of those things, without all of those titles, and I couldn't identify with anything outside of me. And so, and um, and there, there is, you know, I mean, I had to look, there's a verse that I, I focus on, and that was in Romans. And that's not only this, but we also rejoice in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character Amen. and character hope. Hmm. That is one that I've, you know, clung to cling to. And, um, and so, uh, you know, the pain still sucks and it hurts and I hate it, but, <laughs> you know, I, I, but I, I've, uh, you know, learned that that's part of my life. And, you know, it, it's, I always, it's funny that you guys have me on because I always felt like I had to accomplish something to say, I've overcome my pain. You know, it's like, I feel like okay, now I, I mean I I need to go run a marathon and say I've overcome Agitive. the pain. But living through the pain, you know, just
0: Sure, that's a that's is, a metaphor. I mean, you gotta understand pain is kinda of the fuel that eliminates your the weakness from your mind. And you most people when they're growing up and they're trained that they, you have emotions and then when something happens that activates that emotion, then you kinda go down that rabbit's hole until it's over. It's it's overcoming your pain. People say that who can who one day the pain is going to be completely gone away, we don't know if that's going to happen with you, so in your mind, and then what you've done is you've created yourself, you've trained yourself to be that warrior that has to handle that pain on top of every other duty you do on a on a day to day basis being a mom and a wife and everything so it's it's and it's not a not a weakness or it's not a problem anymore it's a part of you and in order to deal with that, once you accept that fact that it you know it's not it's not going to kill you, and you know pain man, it just lets you know. And really appreciate those uh, good times. And I'm glad I still have mine. You'll systematically know what to do those steps throughout the day to make it uh, each day joyful, pain or not. Because like I said, pain makes you appreciate the good times. Wow. And uh, you, you're doing that every day. I can hear you saying it.
1: Good on you. Rogan. one more time. What was that Bible verse? Can you uh, repeat that? Oh, it
3: was Romans 5.3. Not only this, but we also rejoice in sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance character, and
1: character hope. You know what? I think that's absolutely excellent. And I hesitate to compare this, but uh, I grew up with with migraine headaches since I was born and lived with them for about about 25 years of my life. So that was, in comparison to your pain, probably not nearly as intense, but it was something, it was a pain that never went away. It seemed to always be there day after day and week after week. So as Dave was asking you those questions about, you know, did you find some kind of higher understanding, some kind of you know existential uh, enlightenment, and all this stuff? I, I was struggling to come up with a with an answer, but when you said that Bible verse and how character being developed through that pain and challenge, I think sometimes that, at least in my experience, that when you responded with that verse, that really struck as a truth to me. That sometimes it's just simply the the, the development of character that you build by going through that constant pain that's hard to find any other blessing uh, to see any other positive benefit that is providing for your life. I think that's just excellent.
3: Thank you.
2: Well, Brogan, before, before we get into the, the final por- portion of the interview with you, I got one more question. One of the, one of the great challenges is, is, that we deal with in our community in particular with, Post-traumatic stress is there are injuries that are on the inside, right? That nobody can see. That nobody can see the scars of battle. Nobody can see the scars of war, but they're there, and they're and they're killing thousands of dudes and women on a regular basis. And can you just talk a little bit about that relationship with? you know, people around you because nobody can see your pain. Nobody can see your, you don't have a visible scar anymore. You can't see the scars on your head because your hair, they don't, your face doesn't, you know, flare up and swell up at all. So can you talk about that and how you deal with
3: that a little bit?
1: That's a great question.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's a huge thing. Um, I remember a couple years ago I was getting some wood for, um, bonfire we were having in the backyard, and I stepped on some wood that flipped up some other wood that hit me in the eye. It actually knocked me out. It was kind of a big deal. (laughs) got an ambulance right out of that. But I had a black eye, and it was actually kind of nice because people gave me sympathy. And so I was almost bummed when the black (laughs) eye went away because it was like people stopped giving me sympathy, you know? It's like, finally, somebody's noticing I'm in pain. But, um but yeah having an invisible illness is is a, a tricky thing because no one can see it no one knows what's going on and and then there's that like well is it really there are you just making it up are you just kind of uh, off a little bit hmm. you know so um you just kind of it's it's a it's a tricky thing and just having that good support group is really the key thing and that's I, I got to go back to the support group. That's, that's the key for it because um, without that, I don't, I don't think you're going you're gonna to do hey, well.
1: Um, that really reminds me of, I wanted to ask you again because we sort of touched on this earlier. You were talking about the support group and uh, the people around you, your friends and family. You had said uh, the most important thing is just to have them be there. Just to, just to be there. Can you amplify on that just a little bit, explain a little more in more, a little more detail? Because I think people who are around others who are you know listening to this show who suffer, um, they really want to, who are otherwise unable to help this person solve whatever difficulty they're going through. Can you describe just in some detail what those people around you have done to just, quote, be there? Great you, question.
3: that have been most effective? Uh, so, yeah, just, you know, just thinking of you, um, you know, how are you doing? Um, I know my mother-in-law is one of my best friends, and she has been there from the beginning and has just been, um, you know, just call and say, how's your day going? You know, nothing, um, nothing is, there's nothing, nothing. Uh, there's no catch to it. They're not, there's nothing expected of it, and and mm-hmm. it's it's hard with an invisible disease. People in a chronic disease, you know, people understand for about three days, and then it's wow, okay. Why it down aren't you to the better? Time. You know, hmm. <laughs> it, it really is. And so just you know, just texting, calling sometimes is a little bit much because you know, uh, is it's for me it's hard to talk, um, but just. Little notes here, or there. Cards in the mail. I have one of my girlfriends who has just been incredible, and she will send me cards at least once a once a month, and every every once in a while, just gives me a little gift. And um, just knowing that they're out there and they're thinking of me and being supportive, uh, it just means uh, a tremendous amount. And then it's also nice to, for my family to see that that I'm also being supported.
1: Wow. So. Those a great answer. Yeah, just, that just sounds like indications that people are simply thinking about you, right? Well, there's
2: a risk. W- listen, we— it- When you
1: get hurt and you're laying out there
0: by yourself, man, you, you're thinking of reasons why to heal up, sure. But when it's staring you in the face, I mean, it, it doubles that. There's multiple aspects of pain, right? The mental and, and the physical, what it does and the reactions to it. And then when you have somebody actually staring you, that's how I know my wife loves me because right? so like,
2: oh, we don't know why well, I know
0: I hot topic of debate around here, but um, oh yeah, man. It's uh, when you have somebody around who truly cares, not only do you heal up, well, you get back online. You keep pushing. Amen. You hit again. At least, you know, there's something down there to push you back up. Starting blocks. Like we say, right?
2: Amen. Well, Brogan, the, the last question that we have for you before we wrap this up is, is we always like to ask our, our guests to kind of give some kind of pearls of wisdom, some maybe three things that you do every day that you focus. You gave us that wonderful Romans verse. You gave us the the motto that you have, that you, you use in the beginning, that you utilize, you know. But are there certain things that you focus every day, little ideas that you can share with our listeners that are either living in, in with invisible pain or that are have the actual overt pain or that have psychological pain or that are in their never quit moment on a day in day out basis that doesn't have an end in sight? What are a couple things that you can share with our listeners that could help them?
3: So. I think you just can't let the fear of the pain ruin or run your life. You know, there's that word
2: fear again, uh, man. I love that. You said that
3: you just, you can't be in fear of the pain and you have to get control of that fear. And just, uh, somehow you got to get back in control of it. I, I don't know how, but find your own way. Everyone has their own way to get back in control and find, Find little things that you can control in every day, in whether it's making your bed every morning. Find a little things that you can control and control those. Because for me, I'm, I'm, I'm at my pain's mercy. And so there's little things that I can control, and I'll control those. I can make my bed every day and get up and move on. Um, but do my prayers... I really am at
1: a loss right
2: now. Hey, those are some big ones. Control your fear. Control the things you can control in your life and say your prayers. Rogan, those are three massive things that human beings need to do day in and day out to live with the never quit mindset. I mean, those are fantastic.
0: It's also the part that you can't control fear is the unknown right anything we're afraid of is because we had not been trained in it we never had to deal with it before and there's a difference between having fear and being afraid right and when you start getting beat down and you start taking heavies that's where your friends and family come in that's what makes living life with a team so uh, so wonderful it's you're not doing yeah, it by man. yourself because the minute you feel isolated and alone uh, then you really got to count on yourself and as humans man we just can't figure everything out and if you're in a whole bunch of pain, man, it takes those receptors, and you're you're focusing on that, not on the uh, the outside. And it's it's incumbent upon the people who love us to step in and and help us through those little adversities. That's what makes life worth living, right? Yes, absolutely.
2: Rogan, you are awesome. We just uh, again, it's been such a privilege to have you. One be a part of our team and team never quit to have found the show. Thank you so much. We're humbled by your comments saying that the show is, is one of the tools you use to, to get through the day and to help you in any way. We're, we're so proud that we can do that. That's why we started the show. Um, But we're also just incredibly honored and privileged that you, you know, you wrote in. We read your story, and then you also decided to come Absolutely. on here with us, knuckle draggers, oh, and and Absolutely. fire questions at you for the last hour. We can't thank you enough. And and you know, from me personally, I'm praying for you, and and I have all the faith in the world in you and the people that love you that you're going to do just fine through this, and and you're going to have a profound impact on on a lot of people. Through your ability to embrace mm-hmm. your fear and control that pain and to just be the person you are. So, thank mm-hmm. you.
3: Thank you very much. Um, thank you,
2: both of you. All right. God bless you. Bye bye. Yeah. I got to tell you, man, listening to Brogan's story and listening to. Her and, and what she said, man, that, that's moving. That that hit me in my core, brother. I mean, that's a powerful, powerful woman right there.
0: All the medical training everything that we've been through and a lot of the stuff that we've seen nowadays, you know, it's kind of it's hard to stay alive. Right? With some kind of a semblance of peace. There's things out there that people don't even know about. I mean, I mean, who's even heard of that, right? <laughs> we
1: studied it and that, and that, to put that together. I mean, there's... I think that's one of the most difficult situations there is. Even. She was talking about how she suffers internally. I mean, there isn't much external uh, evidence that she's suffering like this. And to be going on day after, day after day after day after day after day. No end in sight. With no end in sight. That is, it's amazing. I'm I'm so glad that she wrote in and that we got to talk to her to really expand on her story. Huge. Huge. Like, uh, it's as if her senses are turned up on
0: high right there in that one spot super right? high
2: yeah you know super high she's on it's, 11 yeah the
0: lo- it's broke off yeah, right? of knob, bro. that
2: knob's broken God, living in the, the full-blown like Did you start messing
0: around with uh the neck surgeries looking oh, for, looking for something she,
2: she is a true true courageous heroic woman man i'm so stoked that she she wrote in all right we're gonna shift a little bit of focus right now before we wrap the show up And this is uh, all about listener write-ins, listener participation. Well, this listener has taken it to a whole other level. He's a college professor with a PhD. He's the Director of Master of Arts in Intelligence and Security Studies at Augusta University. This is Dr. Craig Albert now this what's amazing about this cat this guy heard our 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 podcast right and decided that it would be beneficial on an academic and I'm sure probably personal level on an academic level for his students To understand our show, to listen to the show, how it relates to his course study, which I can't wait to find out how he tied that in, (laughs) and then to study it and get a survey that he's going to read off and talk about the answers on. Bro, that's
1: pretty cool if you ask me, right? We've been introduced to academia. We we are academia. Wait, we are academia.
0: We are academia, bro. Next level crossing the streams hey hey 20 dollars to the first one of us who's sitting around a kid who's like i got that i got this teacher he makes me read 50 pages and now i gotta read to this. i have to listen to this absurd podcast
2: <laughs> i'm quitting i'm quitting it. i'm dropping this class and i gotta
0: listen to these guys talk about it. i don't even know
2: what because they're so fired up it's giving me a headache <laughs> all right let's bring them on man let's get them on here this is dr craig albert Now, nobody will believe us, and that's why we had to bring the doc on. Nobody out there for one single second is going to believe that anybody in their right mind, especially that has a Ph.D. next to their name, Marcus, anybody in their right mind would somehow figure out how to incorporate our show into their academic course,
0: bro. I can't wait to hear about this. We didn't ask him to do that off the bat so i can't wait to hear what
1: happened oh yeah. it's gonna be i only had to pay him a massive amount of money
2: <laughs> yeah so so the deal Yeah, isn't that the deal right there it's all right the so let's get him on let's jump right in because i gotta know what the data says man i gotta know so without further ado ladies and gentlemen boys and girls mr dr craig albert from augusta university brother welcome to the team welcome to the team never quit podcast
4: Thank you, man. Thank you so much.
2: Well, we are we are so stoked that you're here. Before we jump into the study and and how it went down, and all that, can you first just give us a, a little back background about what it is you teach and where you're at and why you you decided to teach all that stuff?
4: Yeah, my brother, my pleasure. I'm at at Augusta University. I'm in the Department of Political Science here. I'm the Graduate Director of our Intelligence and Security Studies Program. Uh, I teach a lot of security studies, foreign policy courses, and some political philosophy classes as well. But for this, I was teaching a foreign policy and special operations forces class, a course I designed to really focus on the special operator community and how foreign policy affects operators and how operators affect our foreign policy. So that's my concentration.
2: There's going to be content and, and curriculum for you for centuries, right. brother. I love yeah. it. I love it. All right. So so that you're teaching this course. This is to help people understand our value on the front line as it relates to the grand scope of the geopolitical structure. All right. Now, it, it, What? It, <laughs> where in God's tarnation did the light bulb go off over and say, you know what? let's put old rot Marcus and the wizard in the curriculum somewhere.
4: Yeah, it's, it's twofold. Uh, the first is, uh, I just always, you know, part of what I do and I've never served in the military. So I, I love to get like an account of that when I teach. So when I teach, it can make sense. So I always read war memoirs. So that I understand a little bit to talk to the students about how policy is implemented. implemented. So I read, you know, mm-hmm. my first one that I read recently was Chris Kyle's, of course, The American oh, Sniper. Legend. And then I read uh, Marcus Luttrell's Lone Survivor and then uh, Service as well, which w- was just profound. And in each of those books, not too much, but there was a little bit of political content in there about how uh, how marcus felt about the political climate how uh, chris kyle felt about uh, uh, george w bush and what, what he meant to him and some other things and i was like wow that's really interesting to to hear their politics from a perspective and i just started thinking well i wonder if who's the president makes a difference to the operator i wonder how politics affects them or if it affects them so i was like man maybe i can teach this in my course and really like get you know understand this through my students and really help them understand what goes on between the nexus between foreign policy and special operations. Hmm. And so then uh, my friend just told me that you guys had a podcast and I started listening to it. And it was weird because I was going through some personal stuff in my life at that time uh, with some trauma and things that I had to deal with. And so you guys helped me out with that. And then the two just clicked. I was like, Hmm. man, like I need to assign some of these materials in class. And then you guys motivated me so much and, and got me through some some just terrible times in my, in my life and really made me deal with who I am as a person. And I'm very personal in the classroom. So I bring my personal trauma into the classroom so students can understand and, and get through their own suck in life. And I, you know, I try to use my experience that, hey, you can still succeed even if you have sucks. So you guys helped me so much. I was like, I'm going to put this in the curriculum and test it out this oh, semester wow. and see if it helps students the way it helped me uh not just understanding the academic side like you, you know what I ha- you know cuz we just as academics we're heads in the clouds most of the time you know and, and i'm not sure congressional mm-hmm. members and and presidents actually take into account what happens on the ground and how being deployed affects you psychologically and stuff so when i'm in the classroom even my research and when i'm writing I try to keep that in perspective. Like, I don't want to just write some some stupid theory that doesn't do anything that nobody's going to pay attention to. I want to try to connect the dots between the military that are doing the work that the policymakers are asking them to do. Mm -hmm. And then the academics who usually just sit in the the office and just ponder about it. Like, we're so out of touch. I was like, I got to stop this. I can't pass this out of touch mentality to my students. So I'm going to bring them both sides. I'm going to give them the theory and I'm going to give them the perspective of boots on the ground as best I can. And so I use the podcast for the leadership component of my class, too, because I don't want to just give them, you know, academic or practical side. I want to lead them up. I want them to know how to be good human beings, which is what I think the college education is really about. How to be a, a decent person, a good leader. And your podcast is one of those things that touched me. Like, this is how I can lead. I can use this to be an effective leader. And so I was like, let's see how this works on my students. Uh, Because this generation uh, is is kind of like the most blessed, but also because of that cursed generation, like as as economics goes, as like military service goes, they haven't had to suffer through a lot of stuff as a generation. And so when they're faced with some type of adversity, even if it's like, oh, crap, this syllabus is tough or this professor is a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) They give up and just little (laughs) things like that. So. My idea of the podcast is like, no, if if people can make it through SEAL training, if people can make it through Ranger training, you can make it through a damn class in college and you can, you know, push it, embrace the suck and love it, knowing that other people have it much harder and you can learn how to lead through that and become a better individual because of that. Well,
2: that's awesome. I love that. Tell us the structure of... Uh, the, the details of putting the show in, what were you ha- ha- hoping to uh, study? What were you hoping? What effects were you hoping on the kids? And, and you know, just what was the basis of, uh, uh, in terms of the specificity of the show? And what, what episodes in the show? Did you use them all or just specific ones? What were you hoping to accomplish?
4: Yeah, so I wanted to do two things. I wanted them to get... The mindset of what a a leader was truly like and everybody that you've had on your show is a leader in in some aspect, either through military or through business like Mattress Mac. man, like, tell me, I mean, that is some leadership right there. Awesome. So I wanted them just to, to, to hear different techniques of leadership, like how people overcome their trauma or their adversity or how they're just so successful. And so then we would talk about it so that they could apply it and somehow bring that back to them. Or I would tell them my examples and like try to bring the show back through me somehow and then how I've come through different things in my life to make it applicable to them. The other side is, it because this is a, a half theory, half practical class, is I just wanted them to, to get in the mindset of what it would be like to be in the military or hear from people that actually do foreign policy what that is like. So. I wanted them to to really pay close attention to the the soldiers and sailors and everybody in the armed forces that you've had on to really just get a perspective of of what it's like and how you all have to do what, you know, congressional members and the president and your your command structure ask of you and how that affects you and how do you live with that and and continue Mm -hmm. to to operate at an optimal level through the hardships, which those of us who've never served can't possibly understand. So I assigned some some reading materials, some theoretical reading materials, some international relations theory and foreign policy theory, but also then your podcast so that they would get that side of everything. Uh, again, cause I didn't want them just to get my know nothing like theory side. I wanted them to understand it from people that have actually done the stuff that academics just talk about.
2: All right. So you, you assign the, the students to listen to the podcast. How often did they have to listen to the podcast?
4: They had to do it weekly, and then they had an essay assignment. So every week, I would say, please reflect on what episode you listened to, uh, tie it into leadership, and tie it into foreign policy and special operations if it's applicable to that.
2: That's cool. Hmm, interesting. All right, so give us the results that you found. Obviously, I, I, you know, th- this is a really killer idea, and you said you found some, you some good positive as, results of this.
4: Yeah, amazing results, uh, statistically awesome results of one of the questions, how useful were your podcasts in understanding, handling adversity? Over 50% of the students said very or extremely useful. That's top tier right there. That's that doesn't cool. happen, huh? Yeah, that, that's <laughs> half the class that says, yes, this is working. Nothing. And in, in, in anything I've ever done teaching is half the class say, yeah, that worked to do that. So that, that's cool. amazing. Uh, and and what's more so... Nobody said it wasn't useful. That's the first time any survey or any research I've ever done where nobody responded negatively, none of them. Wow. At
0: all. Somebody's lying.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Why you got to go there,
0: dude? My whole life, I've just been the experience. You know, I mean, somebody out there is going Somebody's
2: going to say, you know what? I actually. I was that guy, so I know you're there. It's all right. I love you. I actually, when we first went up on iTunes, man, one of our very first reviews was, R- Rutherford makes me want to stick a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger. His voice. So that's pretty cool that my voice didn't want to drive any of your That's why he's stuff. so fired
0: up about this.
2: <laughs> he had a whole class lecture on <laughs> you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, dude. Did you ever have a student, based on the show or the whole thing, and listening to it, did you ever have a student... Because we talk a lot about team and relying on each other and covering down on each other in those hard moments. Did you ever have a student that approached you off to the side and said, you know what, doc, thank you. You know, this really, this really was a huge help to me.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I had, I had one in particular where they were, I'm going to use the plural just so I don't reveal anything about the student, but uh, they came to the office and said that they were ready to give up on the semester that everything was too hard, that they just couldn't take it anymore. And they were coming to to seek my advice about how to finish out the semester. And on the way, they listened to an episode of your podcast in the car. Uh, and by the time they got here, their entire perspective, positive, motivated, ready. they recalibrated literally in the 20 minutes it took for them to get here from wherever they were, your podcast changed their Life. I mean, they were done. They were done with the semester. They weren't going to turn in the rest of the assignments. Wow. They were they were done. And they the, the show kind of made them feel bad about And this is a good thing made them feel bad about wanting to give up on. Uh, on the academics at that, uh, that point in the semester. So by the time mm-hmm. they got here, they said I was going to come and seek your advice, but Marcus and Rutt already gave it to me. And so now I'm motivated.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, that could be a service. That's awesome, man. That's <laughs> awesome. All right. The final thing we want to know is, you know, obviously there's a big, the big, you know, I don't. I don't know if it's a talk, but the big consensus, I think, for our generation, older generations, is that this up-and-coming generation needs help. They need somehow to instill the grit and fortuitedness back into them in their psych, their how their psyche and how they approach the challenges of life. How, along with this show, do you intend to do that, Doc? Well
4: first, I'm very empathetic towards them. Uh, so I do believe that they need to be toughened up. I think most most Americans uh, need to be toughened up a little bit, myself included. Uh, but in the process of doing that, you have to be empathetic to their position. So you have to understand from where they're coming. You have to realize that they might not have experienced like the trauma or things that have negatively affected me in my life, but they have their and I got to be cognizant and empathetic to that. And and understand their position and where they're coming from. So when I talk to them, when I tell them to to suck it up and to push through, I do it very kindly and nicely, and I challenge them through through the the course load to to keep struggling through adversity and smile, like take some joy in their suffering. And I have a like a 24-hour policy that if they're struggling at all, Feel free to email me, to uh, message me on our our university platform, to come to my office hours, to let me know, and I will talk them through confidentially, so they know they don't have to go through this alone. Like a lot of this generation doesn't understand that you know being hurt and having pain and suffering is normal and it's part of what makes you who you are. You know, like amen. Be- being beat down by the failures in my life and the pain I've experienced. Makes me who I am today. Without the pain, I wouldn't know the joy in life. I wouldn't without being hated. I wouldn't know what love is truly about. And without that suffering, I can't grow as a person. And if it wasn't for pain. I wouldn't know how to love my wife in the proper way to, to connect and understand what the human condition is. And and that's what I try to tell my students is you're not messing up if you're hurting or you're failure. You're failing. Uh, a person isn't defined by how many times you fail or by how many sins you committed. Uh, a person's defined by getting back up from Amen. those failures and uh, by, by understanding and being self-aware that they've made mistakes. And so now you don't cower out of that. You make amends and you say, I messed up and I'm going to fix that. And that is OK. And that's how we become better people. And you're right. That That's my job. It's not just to give them an understanding of. know what the bush doctrine is or the obama doctrine is it's it's to tell them what the human condition is and, and we're you know we're full of pain but we're full of love and it's perfectly normal to to experience both of those that's what makes us human that's why we're not animals because we can rationalize what pain is and how we experience it
0: well, I ask them this, when you're sitting in a room with somebody and, and it's quiet, you look over, who, who do you want to go talk to? Who, who would you want to hear from? The guy who's been through it all, right? And when, you, when they ask, you say, oh, it's a Navy SEAL, it stops right there. What they want to hear are the stories that it took to get to that. You talk about a Hollywood celebrity, they want to hear the stories behind the celebrity title. And if, that's kind of what you're aspiring for, man. You want to go out and have those crazy stories so when people hear your title and they walk up to you, you can deliver
2: for sure well doc brother thank you so much man you are one hell of a a person you're one hell of a a professor We're, we're so grateful that you chose our show to include in in the development of these young minds and these young souls uh we can't thank you enough and and please keep in touch with us let us know if the data keeps showing it's working and, and, and if you, you know, we just, we were so fired up and if you could just one real quick, where can, where can people, our listeners find you online and find the course you're part of and, and maybe follow you on, on social media?
4: Yeah, I'm on a uh, Facebook and Twitter at a, uh, a uh, DRCD Albert. Uh, they can just type in Augusta university. Uh, I have my own profile page through the university. We're a very military friendly university so if anybody's out there looking for a degree I hope you don't sh- mind a shameless plug but No please my program right now is in intelligence and security studies and 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 we cater to people wanting to to be a better analyst at, at their position so they can look me up on the university website augusta.edu or through Twitter or Facebook and uh, I'd, I'd love to help anybody uh, get through the education system and just talk people that that might not know how how to do it so if i can help your community out help you with anything please let me know like don't hesitate
2: to pick up the phone and call and i'll be i'll do what i can immediately awesome doc Very cool thank you so much brother god bless you god bless all your students and uh we'll be in touch in the future man yeah. drive on
0: thank y'all yes sir
2: bye-bye Dude, how about that cat man how about that dude right. man was he a trip or what i enjoyed that <laughs> he was fired up man
0: yeah he was
1: yeah right hey, yeah. yeah he was it's was cool
0: thank y'all so much for keep bringing us back and seeing that as an example of you know oh. it, how people how it touches people and stuff like that
2: well that's why i asked that question man what Was there any moments in... Because we know it touched him. Why else would the guy incorporate our show into his... I mean, and this is high-level stuff he's teaching. I mean, foreign policy with special operations mm. and how it's now, interrelated. I'm, I'm
0: talking to anybody in politics. I'm going right? to reference I'm, his name. Oh, totally. So my colleague.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you an honorary doctorate from that
0: joint. I guarantee it, right? I have a colleague who knows that answer. I myself am not up to speed, but
1: I got him on we'll speed we get him on dialed. speed
2: now. <laughs> Our professor, my, lo- my other professor. Hey, but, but
1: but on a really serious note, what I do appreciate about part of what he's doing is that he's bringing an awareness to, and he talked about this, trying to give an idea of the mindset, maybe the culture, the impact of America's foreign policy on the ground. Because in my mind, that's an extremely important thing that we need to, it needs to be increased in the American consciousness. Because right now, the percentage of the population which is in the military or connected to some of the militaries, it's, it's, Minuscule, right? It's like less than one percent. Is that yeah. what the figure? Is? And in special operations, less than one percent. And if you contrast that against, say, something back to World War II, where almost every single American citizen was connected to someone in the military during that war, the wars that followed that. I mean, particularly with the draft. What we've lost now is is a connection between the implications of the of America becoming involved in a conflict in a war. And when the American public loses an understanding of what it really means to go send our bombs, bullets, and blood to another country, that is extremely dangerous. So I can really appreciate him trying to put some level of consciousness into these young people in his class.
2: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think your point's well put, Wizard absolutely he's he's doing his his students a tremendous service not oh, he's only teaching them man straight shot he, he, yeah he's meant not only is he teaching them credible quality information with the use of the t&q podcasts i might add <laughs> but also he's inspiring those those students to be better people and and more conscientious about the greater scope of what being an, a good american means
1: absolutely yeah
2: well listen so far this show i gotta tell you all when you think about our listeners and and again, Marcus and I were just talking about right before we got on and pinching ourselves, and man it it's them that are bringing life to this thing. It's them that are bringing this great community to this thing. It's them that are taking the ideas and the stories of these guests and they're expanding on it, not only into their personal lives, but sharing it with people they know and love that are struggling, sharing it with students, sharing it with their firehouses, sharing it with Mm -hmm. their police units, sharing it with their platoons, sharing it with their kids. And that's the beauty of what Never Quit is all about—is that shared collective pain that we all have. And so, what I th- I thought we would do is—is is Wizard, and you found another unbelievable story, but we'll we'll read just one more before we sign off uh, on this show. One more listener write-in story, and and I'm telling you, this one's gonna gonna shake you. This is from Colleen. I'm a victim and survivor of childhood sexual abuse. It is the first time that I've ever written those words. Your podcast on Lara Logan was particularly inspiring and moving to me. People will speak to sexual abuse, but do not truly speak about it. Lara Logan went in depth, not only about her experience, but about the long-term effects. I've always wanted to share my story, but I've not really known how to share. Through Laura's podcast, I think it's time I share my story with you. I was born in the Florida Panhandle. My My parents divorced when I was five years old, and I can count on the hand the times I saw my father from the age of six to the age of 18. My mother found a boyfriend that was an abusive alcoholic. I remember vividly my first uncomfortable experience with him. It may not seem like much, but it was a prelude of things to come. We were in a hotel in Nashville, and my mother was out. He asked me to lay by him. He put his arms around me tight, and when I tried to get up, he wouldn't let me go. I was six at the time. And I remember feeling uneasy and uncomfortable. Whenever I would come home from school and see a drink in his hand and hear Elvis on the stereo, I knew the violence that was in store for my mother that night. I remember several instances where my mother and I would leave our home in the middle of the night to sleep in the car after one of his episodes. Luckily, I was never beaten, but I saw the physical abuse my mother endured by someone who claimed. To love her. Through this time, he began French kissing me and touching my private parts. He would tell me that my mother would not love me anymore if I told her what was happening. Thankfully, we left before this escalated into war. And thank God he never penetrated me. But there was one night where he got drunk destroyed furniture, and beat my mother while I listened upstairs in my room in bed. He told my mother that he knew she could not give him any more children and that he was going upstairs to make more on his own. I was probably 9 or 10 at the time, and I knew what this meant. I've never experienced terror like this in my entire life. I screamed for my mother as loud as I could, and I remember her yelling no at him. He made it partially up the stairs, but somehow his mission was diverted and thankfully nothing happened. From that night on, I slept in my regular clothes. I thought if he tried to take my clothes off, I would feel it more and I could scream for my mother. The kissing and touching happened sporadically throughout the years until finally I had to tell my mother, but... There is some part of her who must have known given the prior instance several years before. One day after school, she held a conference at our outside plastic table with me and him and discussed the issues. That was my second experience of true fear. I cannot really remember the discussion. He denied the abuse. Afterwards, I went into the kitchen to chop onions for dinner. He came up from behind me hit me beside the head so hard and told me that he, if he should never, I should never tell her anything. Of course, by then I had told my mother everything. My mother and I finally moved to a nearby town. He found us. And in his drunkest episodes would break down the door, sit on the couch and make threats. He would tell my mother that she would not li- live to see her next birthday. During these discussions, I would sit on the floor, Indian style, holding a boom box on my lap and record these conversations. He would say something like, you think you're pretty smart, don't you? And I would say, yes. I thought if anything happened to my mother, I could take these tapes to the police. We finally moved several States away to South Florida. I would often have nightmares that he would find us. And I would drew, dream about hiding in the washing machine or the refrigerator somehow. From the articles that I've read, I believe this form of PTSD. This is a form of PTSD. My mother had a difficult time accepting what happened to herself and me. Every so often she would ask, did he do anything to you? And I always reply, yes. But at that time I was angry and did not want to speak of it. I only wanted to forget it. However, you cannot forget. The more you try and forget these instances come out in a variety of ways. I cannot imagine the violence and viciousness of Lara Logan's attack, but she mentioned in her podcast how thankful she was to have ha- have normal loving sexual relationships before the attack occurred. I can testify that trying to figure out how to have a loving sexual experience after years of manipulation is difficult. Thankfully, I found my husband and told him snippets of what happened. He accepted me with compassion and no judgment. For that, I am forever grateful. So, what became of me? During those trouble years, age 6 to 12, I always loved school and swimming. I liked the gratification of getting an A when you studied hard. He would often say, Why you got them head in the books? You're only going to get knocked up by the time you're 15. For whatever reason, my stubborn 10 or 11-year-old self took that as a challenge and I thought I'll show you and make something of myself I graduated top of my class in college I then went on to the law school at the University of Miami and graduated top of my class there I'm an attorney at a national law firm and I'm up for partner this year however my struggle with the demons continues I often feel that somehow I have an invisible scarlet A that my colleagues and others can see but I try to remember that I've surpassed by, uh, I have surpassed my upbringing and deserve a seat at the table. Several years ago, I got into endurance sports and I've completed a marathon, two ultra marathons, the 5K, Tampa Frogman swim across the bay twice, several 60 mile bike rides and a half Ironman. These events helped me push through my experience and break me down. I always say that in in these events, you live a lifetime because you experience the ups and downs of life during that eight hour or so period. I've recently felt compelled to tell my story and would like to find some way to tell children that are going through similar things that they can make it through it. I finally let go of the anger that others had. I have finally let go of the anger that others had it better and that my childhood experience wasn't normal. I want these children to know that abuses should not dictate their future. I will not lie. It is harder for those of us who've come from abusive homes to be functioning adults. These children will have an extra hurdle in life. However, it is possible with hard work and dedication to make something of yourself. Thank you for Lara Logan's podcast. It finally pushed me to put my story on paper. Thank you. Colleen, you're a true hero for writing that in. This year, seeing a lot of women stepping forward to come out of the shadows from abuse, and a lot of men as well, too. We commend you that you have stepped forward. We can't imagine the grief that you've gone through, but thank you so much for writing in and sharing your story. There's no doubt in my mind that someone, somewhere, will hear your sentiments and will be inspired to do the same. That's Mm. why we do this show. I want to thank all the listeners. I want to thank each and every one of you for taking the time out of your day, out of your life, to spend a little bit of time with us and with our guests. Without you, we wouldn't do this show. And we all came together for that mission itself, to provide you with something that's going to help you develop the never-quit mindset that's inside you the never quit mentality that you're born with. And hopefully this show in particular has done that. I want to thank God, my family, my friends, and I want to thank Brogan. Brogan, your courage, your confidence, your conviction, and your ability to live with pain is inspiring. And it will always be inspiring. Thank you so much. God bless you and your struggle.
0: Oh yeah. Colleen, you're a warrior. All right. Sometimes you got seems like you got to go through that training at a young age with, with with some of us. But
1: I fucking hate mutts who pick on God. I'm so fucking mad. Doesn't it make you disgusted at the male gender? Dude, you know those pieces of shit. They don't do that like crap that. in front of
0: guys like us. Man, dude.
2: Biggest fear I have. All y'all.
0: I mean, you see it. They're they're coming out and they're telling their stories and they're making amends they're making this thing right. And that's the way it should be. I me mean,
2: too. Hashtag. You know, guys me Guys like too. man. We're
0: freaking. Out here, we got your back. We got your man. You guys start beating on you. I mean, just I can't even talk. I'm so pissed. <laughs> Damn it! Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry that happened to you, but I'm proud. I mean, look at what you've accomplished. You're a standing testament of how what you can do. It's not a mark. It's not a a staple when you get hit like that at a young age, man. Just like we said, your starting block. You got to start running early. So you're you got a perspective and some armor that nobody else has it's incumbent on people who have to go through things like that we pass that down to the ones that are, that we think are going through it you're not alone in that so good on you for coming out you, you know you're talking about it you're writing about it this is how you forget about it that's just the way it is and uh, move forward so all y'all that came on today man Brogan and Doc thank y'all so much and for everybody who keeps bringing us back here to do this we, we appreciate it and we love y'all come out Out.